You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. This is Women in Leadership Podcast, featuring success insights from women around the globe. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Women and Leadership Podcast brought to you by the Influence Alliance. And that's the business building community for coaches and consultants who want to build a profitable, scalable business while also make a much bigger impact in the world with their message. And I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, my guest today says we are all leaders, skilled leaders that teach with intention. Everyone else leads accidentally. Joining me on today's show is Denise Cooper. Denise, she's the founder and CEO of Remarkable Leadership Lessons, a company that was founded over 10 years ago to assist C-suite senior level business leaders and managers in raising their game as contributors to profitability. Now, her expertise and her wisdom are grounded in neuroleadership, in behavioral and psychological principles, along with 25 years of experience. Now, Denise has worked across a wide range of industries and organizations. This includes Fortune 500 corporations, small to medium mid or mid-market and non-profit businesses, and change is impacting in every aspect of business. And executives, they need leadership skills that inspire trust, enable quick response times, clarifies purpose, and create work cultures when belonging or where belonging and contribution are foundational principles. I think that we just don't need that in workplaces, but across different industries. Absolutely. So today, Denise is going to share how to anticipate change in the workplace and in life, tools that can help us gain influence and decision-making power in the office. And we can use this in other areas of our life as well, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, inclusion work that is not just about checking boxes. It requires a mindset shift. Lots to talk about, Denise. Yes, it is. We were just saying before we went live, can you believe that still in 2021, we're talking about things such as diverse, you know, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and how are we faring? I mean, you've been working in this area for 10 years specifically in your business, but 25 years experience. How are we going over the, the 25 years that you've really had experience in, in this? Um, I, I think we're making progress. So yeah. we're, we're definitely not there yet. And if you look at the landscape and compare it to just even 15 years ago, we have broadened the definition of what diversity means. Where we were thinking once before it was kind of, of uh, women or gender or race or ethnicity. We've, you know, we've now broadened it to neurodiversity um, and how we bring people who uh, are different in other ways than just the physicality of, yes. of diversity and the way we've thought about it. And so we're continually looking at the intersectionality, which we didn't before. We tended to compartmentalize people. Now we're looking at the intersectionality. So you might be a woman, you might be um, a mother, you might be um, a, grand, a grandmother or a granddaughter or something like that. And also, you know, you may be a homemaker and you may be this. And so how do all of those things come and show up 
both in the workplace and and your customer base. It's true, isn't it? Because so often we have heard, well, when you're at work, work, what stays at work is at work, don't bring your life with you. Whereas we know that that's ridiculous. You don't just, you know, flick a switch Mm -hmm. and there you go. It all impacts one another. But if we think about uh, what many of us, all of us, unless you've been living on another planet, have experienced over the last two years, there are a lot of things that have impacted us that is going to impact how you show up, how you think, how you respond to certain things. So if previously we weren't looking at that whole scope of things, we said, this is important, we need to address that because this is going to impact and come through into the workplace, then we've kind of missed the point. So let's talk about that word that some people love, change. Others people think, no, you can keep your change. But you say, how to anticipate change in the workplace and in life? What are some insights you can share here, Denise? Well, I think first thing is, is that right now, if, if, as you said before, unless you're on a different planet, we have been under tremendous change. And this idea of the new normal is probably an erroneous title. We are reinventing what looks like work. In America and some other countries, industrialized countries, one of the things we've, we've had the luxury of, because we're quarantined, People are looking at employment places and saying, you know what, it was lousy before. I'm not putting up with that anymore. So we've got the great resignation going on. And so it's redefining what that looks like. More men are wanting to be complete partners and they're trying to figure out what that means um, in the workplace as well as in their homes. It is a big struggle. And so as a result of what's happened over the last two years, People are, lo- are redefining and losing their footing on what it means to be a human being and successful, um, both in, at work and in their home. And we're, you know, before we used to talk about, which I thought was a misnomer, work-life balance, it's really about work-life integration. Technology yes. has given us this wonderful, wonderful opportunity with downsides, obviously, that we can work anywhere for at least 40 to 50% of the population. And it's yeah. to move more and more towards that as we understand what it, the impacts on customer service, et cetera. But because of that, it requires that where before the, the rules were made by the employer, mm. now as employees and freelancers and gig workers, whatever the, the, the language you want for contracting work, we now have to take more ownership yes. on how work shows up, but how we interact with other individuals. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. I mean, the landscape has changed as far as, well, I'll use the term who holds the power, but who holds the most influence, who makes the decisions, yes. and therefore people pre- previously had to adapt and adjust to suit the, the employment, the employer, if you will. But now there has been experience there that we have been able to work at home and see how more productive, for some people, and, and myself included, I'm far more productive in my, I mean, I obviously have a very small business, but I I, uh, I have more um, 
energy, if you will, because I'm not interacting with people. And some people have really had some self-awareness in that I actually operate much better out of a workplace. But now we need to then go and have that conversation and maybe even change the mindset, if you will, of employers to, to say that we can continue to work in, uh, we use the term here, hybrid, where it's a balance between in the workplace and then also at home as well. Is that kind of a term that in the US as well? Yes, it is uh, gaining much more popularity and it's both sides. So there, yeah. some people are finding that they do much better at home. But yes. on the flip side, there are other people who find that their productivity has crashed. Plummeted, yeah. So how do we then start to have a conversation? Because obviously, as you said, we want to be able to have open dialogue and come to a win-win for all, win for the organisation, win for the employees, and ultimately the impact that we have for stakeholders, shareholders, customers, and so forth. But what if someone comes up against an employer who says, no, we're not interested? Is that what you're saying is prompting some of this big res- resignation that we oh, see absolutely. going yeah absolutely it it um we've we've got more opportunities and new ones are showing up and the good side of it is is that for many people you know having a linkedin education portfolio is now opening up opportunities that they probably didn't have to have before and employers are really wrestling with this power dynamic Mm-hmm. of now we've, you know, it's not just me demanding that my employees change. I've got to change as a leader. I've yes. got to embrace some beliefs and some structures and some values that before they weren't, they weren't rubbing and bumping up against each other, but now they are. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you the one that, that I've, I've worked with, with leaders for a very long time. And it's this idea of how do you know work is getting done? Do you, do you actually physically have to see someone to know that work is getting done? Or can we judge the work by the results that people deliver to us? And does it matter that you do it during a normal, you know, eight to five or, you know, seven to four timeframe? Or can we allow people to make sure that they have clear deadlines, which is a change for most supervisors, you have to have very clear deadlines and you also have to have an understanding of what boundaries are so that people can go off, do the work and deliver a product that meets the specifications. Mm-hmm. That's a huge change in what, what we talk about leadership and management. Yes. And I like the way that you've confirmed the importance of what is the, the outcome that is required? Because if we start to measure on that and someone is able to complete a particular task in two hours mm-hmm. versus five hours in the workplace, just a bum on a seat taking five hours does not mean that they're highly productive. So I love that whole mindset shift. And just to hear you say that, I mean, you you run your own business, so do I. That's the kind of thing that we do anyway, don't we? Yes. we? We kind of measure it. So is that what you're seeing and what you have seen that in, say, corporate America in your, your instance, but here in Australia, are workplaces then, corporations, not really seeing the value of, hang on, we have to change, or they haven't been doing that? Is, is that kind of what you're saying? They're measuring more on the amount of time that someone is in the workplace? Yes. And most measures are measure, performance measures are around time. And um, when, you know, and and so that's got to change in terms of how we think about it and routineness of work. So one of the things, one of the stories and things I like to talk about right now is, you know, pre-pandemic, 
Um, so I own my business, just like you've said. When I do a training or a speech, I would just simply create my PowerPoint. I send it off to my printer. And generally, I could pick it up within an hour or two. Post-pandemic, I just did this last week. Um, I created it. I put it in the portal. And the portal told me it would take three to five days to get it back. So fortunately, I had a good relationship with my printer. Picked up the phone and said, hey, what happened? And he tells me about, you know, people are not showing up. We've got all this work that's come in. We're, we're not getting supplies in, so we don't always have the paper. And so we just want to make sure that we meet your expectations. I did get it over to them. And, and what normally would have taken me a couple hours to get done, an hour to do it and send it and go and pick it up. Actually, I timed it. It took nearly five hours for me to get that project done. That's the thing that is invisible work that we didn't talk about before because it kind of went within a certain amount of expectation. But today, because we've got these interruptions just in general, we're not conscious of it. And so people are overwhelmed. They feel like they can't win and they can't, conce- they can't succeed. As a result, they're saying, well, if I can't succeed and my boss has no idea on how to help me, then why am I here? Because all of us wake up every morning to feel like we are contributing. Yes. So true. I mean, as you're sharing that, Denise, I can think of uh, someone that I spoke to who was in the retail environment and the management continued to put so much workload, Mm -hmm. yet tools that were available, the resources, the staff was not available. And basically management said, don't care how you do it, just do it. And in that instance, it's like, well, okay, let me get out my crystal ball. You know, it's almost like that. I mean, and as as management then, as a business, are we providing, I think, an opportunity for our staff to share? Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the greatest impact and change can come from the team mm-hmm. if you give them an open door policy and that they feel safe in bringing that up, aren't they? Because they're there doing the, the work. So they're most likely able to come up with solutions as well. How are you finding that uh, management is open to the suggestions and so forth of the team? Is, and, and is this, this going to be very important for organisations moving forward? Because we mentioned in the introduction that organisations, businesses, executives need to have the ability to change enable quick response times and so forth. We have to be open to possibilities of discussing how can we do this better? What tools can we get? Don't we moving forward? Yes. And and that is, I think we've been moving towards this new form of leadership, which, you know, we've seen studies over and over and over that say women are better leaders. Sanger Fullman's done one, um, Lean In and other organizations have actually done very in-depth longitudinal studies about when it comes to increasing productivity and balancing mental health and making people feel like they can be capable in it, women tend to score higher. And it's primarily because we've had this male model of being a a hero. So the hero comes in, there's a problem and, oh my goodness, I've got the solution. And the solution comes from that leader where women are far more um, likely to say, you know what, help me define what the problem is and then what are the things that we need to get done. They tend to be better at prioritization or at least the best women leaders out there. They really focus on prioritization, making sure that if they set a good vision, what the goal is, they manage resources 
really, really tightly. They understand what it takes to get the job done. And then they have really good follow up and follow through. And also, too, I think women have the ability, if I think of some women leaders that I've had an interaction with previously, they are not uh, the, the ones that, that ask the questions and they're not fearful of having their team step up and shine. You yeah. know, they create an environment in which uh, people can contribute. There's no ego there. And I think that's so important, isn't it? Don't have any ego. If someone else shines in a certain area, that does not mean that you don't shine uh, in, in, in other areas. Maybe not that particular area, but I think that whole comparison and ego needs to come out of all workplaces. Because yes, at the end of the day, we, we're all working toward a common goal, isn't it? And as long yes. as that vision and that mission is one that benefits all parties and not just obviously, you know, skewed to only um, benefiting one, mm -hmm. then everyone will contribute. They want to because ultimately the outcome is going to impact everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting thing because so people are leaders and employees are starting to push this idea of more collaborative thinking, more, hey, how can we all just focus on this, figure it out, pull new technology, connect with our networks to find out who's doing this over here, or can we take this idea from here and apply it here? Mm -hmm. But the HR systems are not necessarily moving as fast. Right. So performance management now looks like did you hit the goal, which we set in January or July, depending on when your cycle starts, and then it doesn't change during the year. It's not adaptive. Yes. And it doesn't um, highlight or make positive those individuals who are flexible, agile, and adaptable in the workplace, whether they are leader or the employees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is something that because change is coming so fast and, you know, right now we're talking about the remnants of the pandemic and where that's taking us, but we really aren't looking at the impact of technology mm. on jobs from driverless cars and trucks to, yeah. um, you know, what social media is doing and what it means to be marketing to, a, to multiple generations multiple um, kinds of ethnicities and diversity, et cetera. How do you create an inclusive look so that your product is actually getting the broadest market um, views that you can possibly get? And that's got to be reflected inside. And yet the HR systems tend not to be that flexible. Yes. What would you suggest would be some changes if someone is listening and watching today and they are in charge of developing some of these HR systems? What are some changes you would like to see? Oh, the, the first one is, is I would love to be able to get rid of this asking during the interviews, how much money did you make? Mm. We know what the job pays. We know what the market says. Figure it out and then pay the person in that. What it does is it causes the person on the interviewing side from having to guess and be in a place of fear because we, we want to be picked, right? We want to be in this company. We've, we've done the research and we say, hey, this is a great place. I want to be here. So cr stop creating systems where there's a power dynamic in the recruiting. We mm. should be looking for collaborative approaches in doing that. In yeah. the workplace, when we're talking about what are the skills, what is it that we really want from employees? Well, one of the things we're seeing when you need fast, agile workforces, everyone's got to be good at uh, giving and receiving feedback. 
-hmm. understanding what decisions are. And so instead of just training management to do that, we wanna see every employee having the ownership for providing feedback, accepting feedback, and being accountable for um, the integrity of telling the truth mm -hmm. and offering up um, what the truth is and not hiding when we're not doing well, but really being able to talk about that. Yes, brilliant. And then getting the skills to be able to provide feedback in a way that enables the win-win too. I mean, so, because we've, and I think an appreciation of different communication styles, mm -hmm. awareness of colleagues and how they interact uh, can be such an eye-opener. And I know that there are many um, people who can support uh, the team in being able to do that. Love those suggestions. And someone uh, is saying here, agree, get rid of the money, a power play. You know, it has to be a win-win. I remember years ago, I was in the career industry. And when I was supporting executives in doing the, the that whole, you know, salary negotiation, we always said you need to go from a mindset of a win, 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 because you could negotiate an incredibly high salary package. But at the end of the day, you've got to contribute to the organization for them to be able to afford keeping you on. Yeah. So you need to, you know, that there's so many more things at play, but I definitely agree with that. So you've talked about some of the changes you would like to see HR make that's going to impact more of that collaboration or that collaborative workplace. But you also would like to share some tools that can help us to influence and decision-making power in the office. What do you see is working really well that we need to know about? What are some insights here? Well, as I said before, the, the probably the best way to shift your culture and to prepare people to be able to adapt to change is to think about how people go through change. And it's more than coming up with the templates and the speeches and the, what, you know, the scripts that we have to put people through, but it's really understanding the emotional toll that change has to go through. How do we help people go through change, which in and of itself causes us to be defensive, mm -hmm. fearful, and uncertain? And yes. so how do we create conversations, supervisor to employee, employee to employee, that don't trigger us, but help support us through that, that process, knowing that uncertainty is, is kind of the, the opposite of what we desire? Because as humans, we want control and we want predictability. And yeah. change kills both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes um, we have heard in the past, and I'm not sure if this is still something that uh, will pop its head in workplaces, but don't bring your emotions to the workplace. Yeah. And sometimes men will, will say that. So I'm not having a dig at men. I, you know, men and women, we're both import, equally important. We can't live without one another. So let's just stop the, you know, the power play in that aspect. But, you know, even anger, you know, and, and a response, a reaction, a behavior, mm -hmm. guess what, is driven by emotion. Yeah. And I think with the emotional upheaval and, and you know, things that people have experienced, we have to provide um, in the workplace an opportunity for people to have a discussion. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to get bottled up. What would you say? What do you? What would you encourage businesses to do that will enable not or, or force people to bottle their emotions? Because hey, we don't have emotions in the workplace. What would you say to that? Uh, I'd say that um, if you refuse to admit that people are human and and being human is about navigating our emotions, then you're probably not getting the performance that you want, and you're also probably deluding yourself. Uh, because we are always dealing with it. So here's one mo mo uh, emotion that we all love, right? Com competition. 
the passion to be competing, to be the best. We're fine with that emotion. So we already do deal with emotions in the workplace. We are managers every day have to deal with um, disillusionment. I thought I was going to get there. We didn't get there. What does that look like? We all are dealing with what pressure does to us. So we're already doing it. What we've done is put our head in the sand and said that they don't exist. And then we tell the employee or we tell the manager, um, you know, deal with it. You know, don't bring it, don't show it. But what we've done is we really, we really are dealing with it. We just are trying to do it, deal with it in a, um, in a destructive manner rather than in a productive manner. Yeah, totally agree. I remember uh, a while ago, Denise, I had an interview with someone who shared. Actually, it was a it was a Zoom call, a connecting call, and he was sharing how one workplace encouraged the team to sit around the table and share one or two events that they that was significant for them in their lives and that they believe had shaped uh, their character today. And it was interesting that as people continue to share, you know, I remember him sharing, one gentleman was sharing that his, you know, his grandfather or, or and father, they, you know, were in the war and this and that and and, and actually in his country and the, the, the turmoil that had he had been through as a young child and had to look after his siblings and so forth. And just through sharing that story, being aware of it, his team members around the table could see that he may have come across as very abrupt and very direct, but it was because he was trying to keep the team safe, you know, and trying to, to handle a lot of those things. Yeah. It was completely shifted the mindset and the, the beliefs uh, of, you know, the, how the team. How people looked at him, yeah, yeah. The how they viewed him. And, yeah. and that's the important part because it, it, you know, I'm not advocating that we embrace people, you know, crying all the time or being angry or stomping out of a door or anything like that. But, you know, I just got off the call with a, um, an, a senior leader who is reorganizing their organization. And we had to talk, I talked them through, how are you planning for people to go through this process? Because you're going to put them in positions that they may or may not be ready for. You yeah. think they might be ready but you really won't know they're ready until you put them in that position there. And so how are you going to support them through the learning curve of the new position that they're in so that they feel confident, they feel like they're going to be able to make decisions, that they're going to be able to maybe not do it to 100%, but that it's okay to be on a learning journey. Mm -hmm. And so having so those are the kinds of nuances of the emotions that we really have to think about. Prize employees, because they made it through the reorganization, they feel, you know, they need to have the support to know that someone is going to help them and not kill them if they make a mistake, right? Yes. Killing being you're going to lose your job or you're not going to get your raise or you're going to get, you know, screamed at or something like that. But help them learn how to do it and to plan in the organization, the pacing for the work to allow people to really be able to learn the new jobs, learn the new structure and create the relationships that they need that yes. overlay that with the diversity that sits in your workplace. Mm -hmm. So what are people bringing to work? If we're still in this hybrid model, you don't know that the school, that that person's school may have gone down because they had to go, they had COVID come through and they, they have a child at home now that may be um, online and they're worried that that child is actually getting the education that they need so that they can compete in the world. 
we don't know that, um, you know, if we're not allowing people to have some idea and to be able to talk about it. You know, in, in America, we've got Black Lives Matter. We always have this fear as a Black person, as a, as a woman, that we're not necessarily safe. And so when we come to work not feeling safe, and then we project that because we bring all of that to work with us, how are we having conversations or having an open um, dialogue so that I can feel safe in my workplace? Mm-hmm. I can trust that I'm not going to be harmed either emotionally or physically in the workplace. Yes, so important. I think, as you said, leaders need to now be able to navigate through that, be able to recognise when things may need to be. I mean, some people require a little bit more support and, as you said, ensure that there's an environment you're creating that they do feel safe to come forward because there's nothing worse that you encourage someone to step forward and then all of a sudden, you know, their team or you as an individual doesn't know or laugh, you know, those kind of things are the worst thing that can happen isn't it in the workplace where someone does uh, come out so there's a whole lot of different things there that businesses as you said and leaders need to now navigate through and if they're not sure get the support you need because I think you know how you move forward it as you know we mentioned in the introduction change has never been as quick as it has and there's a saying isn't there I'll I'll probably botch it up but the 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 faster we move through things we realize the faster things go with the technology you know and have those mechanisms in place now I know we're just about at the end of the interview and and throughout this conversation you've been able to to talk about you know kind of the diversity equity and inclusion but I'd love for you to share just some mindset shifts if you will so it's not about checking boxes but mindset shifts what are some mindset shifts that obviously we've talked about some of the employers the leaders and management need to do happy to for you to share a couple more in that area too but the mindset shift of the workers because I think all of us have to mm-hmm. start thinking about how can I impact positive change what can I do to change my mindset that Denise you could think that together these shifts can make an incredible difference in how we show up how we do our work and ultimately deliver you know the best service product that we can for our customers well I think it, it the first thing that we all have to do is remember that we're human that's the first thing we have to do and that it, and we're imperfect and so being able to discern, you know, there are going to be people who we, we talk a lot about microaggressions, macroaggressions in the workplace and in life in general. But how do we create workplaces where somebody might make an, in, a mistake? Maybe they should know, you know, so pronouns, you know, and some people have difficulty remembering pronouns for people. And yet we, how do we have this conversation employee to employee? And then when someone makes a slight, you know, because we get embarrassed and we say the wrong thing afterwards, right? How do we help correct that person, make sure that they understand that this is important to make sure that we're including people. Mm -hmm. So I I think, you know, it goes back to something I said earlier. If If in a workplace, if a leader is really interested in truly having high productivity, then they've got to deal with the idea of how do we get everyone to be able to give and receive feedback Mm. without damaging productivity, without damaging relationships in the workplace? How do we bring humanity, equity, and inclusion into the workplace so Mm. that on both sides, because we we all can't know everything, but we've Mm. got to be able to learn about each other. Tell me about your background. Help me understand why this is important. We have to be able to hear 
feedback. It's about hearing and hearing with empathy. It's about learning how to hold people accountable compassionately for their time and how we manage to work, et cetera. But it's also about holding all of us accountable for, for being able to risk and have conversations that might be uncomfortable and sticking with it so that we can all learn more about each other and we can begin to co-create and collaborate much better. Yes, so important. One of the things that um, I've heard time and time again um, from people such as yourself who are working at the coalface, really, you know, with organisations and, and uh, their teams, is that if the leadership don't direct this and they hope, well, no one's talking about it, so I guess we don't need to worry about it or talk about it. If you're not contributing and in creating an environment where there is narrative, where there is mm -hmm. communication, and, and guess what? You're the leader of your team, so you should start that or, you know, what, what wonderful way as a leader to be able to start that dialogue. Even if people aren't talking about it, they're in front of you or you're not hearing about it, they are talking about it. And if you don't contribute to the narrative, your team will make up narrative, won't they? And that's yes. happening. And then if you don't address that, by the time you hear about it, there's a lot more control, damage control, putting out the fires, if you will, that you need to do. So what basically what I'm saying, Denise, if someone's listened today and thought, well, you know, we don't have to have that in our workplace because we're fine. No one actually ever talks about that. They're talking about it, aren't they? And they will talk yeah. about it. And you have to get something in place to be able to manage this and support your team through this. And, yes. I, and I think leaders have to understand the leakage that comes from that. Yeah. When you have things that are undiscussable, then it then that what that says is if I'm if I perceive what failure is and the undiscussable then I'm not going to tell you. And then you have other secrets. The lack of transparency filters out into other parts of it. So this yeah. idea of creating a workplace where feedback and we can actually discuss things that might be uncomfortable is really important because how you do anything is how you do everything. And if I can't discuss these things over here, I'm going to be reluctant to discuss these other things because I think you don't want to hear bad news. Yeah. I think you don't want to be uncomfortable as a leader. So if I sense that you don't want to talk about uncomfortable topics, then guess what? I'm not going to talk to you about all uncomfortable topics. Yeah. And so it's really important for leaders to understand that setting the, the bar in terms of how it shows up is really important. So, so true. And I know that we've just scratched the surface in what we've talked about today. Then this is what you can support organisations uh, and leaders do. So share a little bit more about how people can connect with you, Denise, and uh, how you can best support them. Oh, I would love to be able to, to come into organizations and generate conversations and facilitate conversations around how we're going to change, how we're going to learn how to collaborate and co-create in the organization. People can find me on LinkedIn, Denise Cooper, or you can go to my website, which is um, RemarkableLeadershipLessons.com. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Denise, sharing uh, your expertise. Uh, I loved our conversation and certainly recommend that anybody who is listening that uh, has really connected to what Denise has uh, shared, then reach out and uh, have a conversation with her today. All right. Thanks once again for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for sticking around and hearing me talk. This podcast is brought to you by TheInfluenceAlliance.com. 
Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.theinfluencealliance.com slash podcast series. That's theinfluencealliance.com slash podcast series.